One of the things we love most about Christmas is the music. Whether it is standing in a line at Target or listening to the radio on the way home from work. Hi, I'm Greg, one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. The music we hear reminds us that there's something unique about this time of year. In this series, Christmas Playlist, we'll take a look at some of the familiar Christmas songs and pull out some biblical lessons we can learn from them. We hope you enjoy. Sure, I'm very good at either. Thought I'd say that before my children could. So, good morning to you all. Merry Christmas, whether you're in the room or you're watching online. Um, I, I want to start today a little differently. It's Christmas morning, one service, a little bit of a different feel. I want to do something that might be a little bit dangerous to do in church. I want to ask you a question. And I'm going to have you guys maybe give some answers out loud. If you're watching online, you could just type into the the little text section there to answer the question. Um, I want you to answer this question. I want to know, like some of you, wait, wait, before we get to this, how many of you like love Christmas movies? Let me see your hands. Okay. There's a lot of you people. All right. So what I want to know is I want to know what your favorite Christmas movie is. Okay. So so I don't know how we're going to do this without you all screaming over the top of each other, but we'll just do our best. I want to hear, what are some of your favorite Christmas movies? Okay, Christmas Story, Wonderful Life, Home Alone, okay. Somebody say Elf, okay, all right. All right, anybody else? Huh? Yeah, I heard you trying to say Die Hard. That's, that's a debatable one. It takes place at a Christmas party, but it's not really about Christmas. But, you know, I actually think the maker of the movie came out and said it is not a Christmas movie, even though people have been claiming it is for years. Okay, anybody else? Any other Christmas movies that you all like? Okay, you both had the same thought, Miracle on 34th Street. All right, now you guys might find this hard to believe, but there are a few Christmas movies that I enjoy. Okay, um, there are a few that I like. You mentioned some of them. I love Elf, all right? I am a fan of all of the Santa Clauses, okay? Really enjoy uh, the Santa Clauses. But, but my favorite is actually It's a Wonderful Life, okay? I love the movie It's a Wonderful Life. <sighs> Mr. Potter is just kind of a real life hero of mine. <laughs> oh, wait, no, no, sorry. I mean, I really try to pattern my life after Ebenezer the Grinch, yes, okay? I've been called all of those things, probably this morning, okay? (laughs) And so I really do. There are a few Christmas movies that I enjoy, Uh, not most of the ones that are on my DVR right now, but I enjoy some Christmas movies. But So this isn't a movie, it's a cartoon, Um, and, and if you're like under 40, honestly, you've probably never watched this. Okay, but on December 9th, 1965, the classic, A Charlie Brown Christmas, was played for the very first time. And so for people of my age, we probably watched it every single year. Like I said, for you younger people, you're probably horrified by the terrible animation and how bad it all goes. Uh, But A Charlie Brown Christmas was written by Charles Schultz, and uh, it has aired at least once a year for almost 60 years now. And so, um, 
really, you know, for some of you here today, if you haven't watched that, your Christmas just isn't complete. And so I was reading some of the details about how it was described. Okay, so this is how it was described on, on this one site I said. This says, show begins with a depressed Charlie Brown. He's overwhelmed by the many details of the Christmas season. The abundance of presents, cards, and decorations seem nice, but also empty at the same time. Even Snoopy, his dog, is trying to win money by decorating his doghouse. Charlie goes to see his friend Lucy for advice. Lucy thinks that Charlie just needs to be involved in something to get his mind off of things. She suggests that he should be the director of the children's Christmas party. I'm not sure I'd put Charlie in charge of that, but anyway, Charlie reluctantly agrees, and the kids decide that their player needs a Christmas tree to spruce it up, and so they send Charlie Brown out to go get that Christmas tree, and Linus goes with him, and all the trees that Charlie and Linus found are bright colored and fake, and Charlie's even more distraught until he finds this tiny little Christmas tree. It looks exactly more like a branch than a tree. But Charlie buys it anyway and takes it back to the kids. And as you'd expect, the kids laugh at Charlie Brown and his tree and his poor choice. And so he's even more depressed. And Charlie screams out, does anyone even know what Christmas is all about? And so in the cartoon, if you've watched it, you know that Linus then goes to the center of the stage and, and reads or quotes actually Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And when he finishes... Quoting that scripture, he proclaims that that is the true meaning of Christmas. And so the ugly tree is decorated, and, he, and Linus mentions that all it needed was a little bit of love. And then the show ends with them singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And so we're going to read the passage that Linus quoted in A Charlie Brown's Christmas. We're going to read a little bit more than, than Linus did during that show. But, so if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully it will show up on the screen. Okay, very good. All right, so in Luke chapter 2, it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified." But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so that's the Christmas story. That's what we're here to celebrate today. And this morning, I actually just want to share four very simple uh, points about the birth of Jesus for us to think about today. The first thing I want you to notice about Jesus is, you know what? A humble birth set the stage for a humble life. A humble birth set the stage for a humble life. This is so important. Now, I don't know. Okay, we've talked about Christmas movies and stuff like this. I'm about to say something that may be a little bit more shameful than even liking Christmas movies. I don't consider myself to be a royal watcher, but upon further reflection, when I have to look at my behavior, I'm not sure I can really say that. Because as I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about the royals, okay, I was like, well, when Queen Elizabeth died, I did get up in the wee hours of the morning so I could watch hours of that procession and funeral, and... On Netflix, I have watched all five seasons of The Crown, and maybe most embarrassingly of all, you know, just a couple weeks ago, I was sick for like a whole week, and that happened to be the same week that the first set of Meghan and Harry things came out on Netflix. Yeah. This might be the worst thing I've ever said in the pulpit. It's been nice knowing you all. We'll see you at the next stop. So yeah, I was sick. There were three episodes of Megan and Harry. I watched them. Okay, that's fine. But what's worse than that? The second three came out a couple weeks later when I was feeling fine. I've watched them too. And so as I say I'm not a royal watcher, I started to go, well, maybe I am. But one of the things you'll notice if you watch any of those things, like like any king and queen and monarchy and stuff like that, there's all kinds of pomp and circumstance, right? There's all kinds of tradition. There's all kinds of like you do this and you don't do this and this is how you curtsy and this is when you do that. And, and there's all kinds of rules like that. Like there is nothing humble about any of that stuff. You know, like almost everything they do, you know, is big news. Announcing the royal baby has gone to the bathroom for the first time. You know, like everything is such a big deal. And yet, when you look at the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus is nothing like that. You know, the birth of Jesus should have been front page news all across the world. And yet there wasn't any pomp, there wasn't any circumstance. He wasn't born in the finest home in Bethlehem. But sweet baby Jesus was born in a barn and placed in a manger, a food trough for the animals. And that humility of his birth is just a foreshadowing of the humility of his life and his death. Because that's what he was all about, not just in his birth, but all throughout his life. Towards the end of his life, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus called him together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them And their high officials exercise authority over them. 
not so with you. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to, when Jesus says not so with you, he's talking to his disciples, but he might as well be talking about you and I. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The life of Jesus is all about humility. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, but whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And here's the key. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus came in humility to do the will of his Father. In John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But the birth of Jesus is so significant because he was, he was born so that he could lay down his life for you and I. He was born so that he could die on that cross to take your place and to take my place. And so that's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The humble birth of Jesus is a foreshadowing of the humble life that he lived and the example that he has set for you and I. As we think about the birth of Jesus today, I would encourage you to put a little humility in your life, to think about the humility in your life. If the way Jesus is described, if that would fit for how you would be described. The second thing I want you to notice, and, and again, this is very simple, but the birth of Jesus shows us just how much God loves us. Okay, the birth of Jesus shows us just how much God loves us. You know, isn't it easy? Well, okay, may, for some of you in the room, the words may not be easy. Okay, but for most people, it's really easy to say, I love you. Okay, the hard part is backing up your words with actions that show that your words are true. Okay, now some of you in the room may even struggle with just the words. Okay, but for most of us, it's so easy to say, I love you but then our actions may or may not reflect the truth of those words. But all throughout the Bible, the Bible tells us that God loves us. And at the birth of his son, Jesus, it's like right there with the cross, proving to us just how much God loves us. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is so important. We talk about it all the time, but it's so important for each of you that's sitting here today or watching at home to understand this, that God truly does love you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's going on in your mind right now. That doesn't change how much God loves you. Honestly, my love for all of you is very conditional. That's just being honest. My love is conditional. 
God's love for us is unconditional. It doesn't change. So the birth of Jesus reminds us and shows us just how much God loves us. Our words are cheap, but actions speak loudly, and God sent his son for us. The third thing I want you to notice, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but in the story of Jesus, we know there wasn't any room for Jesus at his birth. And that really does also set the stage for his life. There wasn't any room for Jesus at his birth, and that sets the stage for his life. Uh, one of the commentators I was reading, preparing for today, he said this, that there was no room for Jesus was symbolic of what was to happen to Jesus. The only place where there was room for him was on a cross. He sought an entry to the overcrowded hearts of men. He couldn't find it. And still his search and his rejection go on. So we can't do anything about what happened to Jesus at his birth. But we can do something about that in our lives today. Do you have room for Jesus in your heart today? Do you have room for Jesus in your life today? The last thing I want us to notice from the reading of, of the story from Luke chapter 2 is the shepherds are told that the birth of Jesus is good news. Okay, the birth of Jesus is good news. You know, throughout the Bible, there's all kinds of words that are used to describe Jesus. The Alpha, the Omega, the author and perfecter of our faith, the bread of life, the Son of God, the chief cornerstone, the good shepherd, the great high priest, the Lamb of God, the light of the world, the mighty one, the mediator, our redeemer, the Son of Man, the Son of the Most High, the way, the truth, and the life. But in here, in this passage in Luke chapter 2, it says that he is our Lord, it says that he is our Messiah, and it says that he is our Savior. Those are three really important words because Jesus is meant to be our Lord. He is supposed to be the one that is in charge of our lives. He is deserving of our respect. He is deserving of being served by us. He has the right to do whatever he pleases with us. He has absolute, or he should have absolute authority. He is Lord. He's our Messiah. He is the promised one. The Bible often refers to, to Jesus as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is his title, Jesus is his name, and Christ was his office. In the Old Testament, it was Messiah. New Testament, it's often called Christ. It means the anointed one. Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. And lastly, in there, it says that he was our Savior. Jesus came to deliver us. He came to deliver you. He came to deliver me. He provided the means for salvation. He's our Lord, our Messiah, and our Savior. The, the last thing, I guess I said there were four, but there's really five. Okay? I apologize. Um, the last thing in this, this section is what? The shepherds were told to do something. And like the shepherds, our job is to spread the word concerning Jesus. You know, as we finish today, we're going to sing the song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And that's still our job 2,000 years later. Our job still today is to go out there and tell the world about Jesus. At the end, Jesus in Matthew chapter 28 says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. That's still the commission that you and I have been given to go tell it on the mountain, to go share the good news of Jesus with the lost world around us. I'm very thankful for Jesus. Thankful for what he's done in my life. 
thankful that he paid the price for me. And I would encourage you guys, as we end this year and as we head into next year, to be a positive reflection of Jesus in your life. Not, not just today. It's easy to be good today. Although for some of you, as I look around the room, some of you might have trouble even being good today. <laughs> but we are supposed to be a reflection of Jesus in our world every day. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. We thank you that you sent him to redeem us, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us hope, so that we would know that you truly do love us and care for us. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.